wonderfully distracted by candy. Um, this week it's a little more quiet when we get started here. What's, what's up? text before you in the handout from Romans chapters chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 and just as a warning I'm only going to be doing verse 1 today Um, there's a reason there's a reason for that so let's read the text together so that it's a very familiar passage so this isn't going to be a Surprised any of you? Let's start together. Verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Coming to this passage um, is quite a privilege, I should say. It's been my life passage. Uh, It's one that I have spent many hours contemplating. Uh, I have worked it into three different uh, keynote speeches that I give at various conferences over the last 30 years and there's just so much here that I felt there's no way that you can just gloss over this and do it in one quick homily or in a a quick oversight because through the extraordinary inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life, he uses a, let's just say, a specific word usage where every word is so powerful that each one deserves its own sermon, deserves its own study. And so when we come to something like this, I kind of have to step back and go, I can't do it justice. And that's the point. Because I couldn't do it justice 40 years ago when it first started impacting me. I can't do it justice today because of the way it impacts me. And we should never be able to think we've accomplished it or figured it out. This is a, a, a admonition. This is a, a, an encouragement to the Christian life worked out. Now, if you look at the structure of Romans, chapters 1 through 11 basically is doctrine. All that we need to know about the gospel is found in those first 11 chapters. 
And in some circles, they actually, they might, you know, pick out, uh, you know, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and preach on that. They might preach on some other great passage like Romans 8.28. But they kind of skip over it because they want to get to the practical stuff. And chapters 12 through 16 are extremely practical. It's basically, now that you understand the what, now this is how. If you understand doctrine, because if you think about it, deeds come from doctrine. If your foundation in an understanding of who God is, is weak, or is being uh, shaken like the earthquakes, and your, your foundation has become water, then your deeds become water, and they have no impact. We watch this regularly displayed in our social media, in our news, and in our churches. And it's kind of fascinating that if you study some of the preachers and teachers of the past, the words that they spoke 40 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 2,000 years ago, are identical for the, 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 uh, the fallenness of humanity. It hasn't changed. The need for the gospel is more evident than ever, we say, and yet I remember my dad saying that and his frustration with how the world was just going to hell in a handbasket. And this is the, in the, the lack of an understanding of who God is in our world. Part of this study, and I don't usually do this, you'll notice in your handout that I actually brought you the, um, uh, the Greek text in, uh, and what some of the other translations have done with this passage. It's a little frustrating because your Bible memory of this verse may be different than the translation that you currently use. And even if you, if you look on the handout, you'll see I have the NIV from 1984 and the NIV from 2011, and there are differences in the same translation which is eminently frustrating. Uh, in fact, I actually heard a lecture from one of the New Testament scholars on the 2011 committee explaining why they changed this verse slightly in its translation. We'll get to that when we come to that portion. But I wanted to get, also show you the underlying Greek uh, language itself not that we're going to have a class on Greek, but to kind of express or more visually show you how difficult it is to translate the Bible. It's not in typical order. You know, it's not like a one-to-one. -one. Uh, anytime you go from one language to another, depending on where your subject matter is or uh, how that particular culture uh, uh, expresses uh, language, you'll find subject time sometimes first, sometimes the verb is first, and it gets all muddled up. I mean, you deal with that with between French and English, but you're also teaching Hebrew into French 
into English, which is even more fascinating. Um, but you have these challenges that we deal with. So that's kind of my preamble here, kind of a rambling one, other than to say this is an extraordinary honor and privilege to dive into this text. The first phrase, I appeal to you. Now you'll see right away the Greek word is parakaleo. That's the verb form of the noun paraclete. And you may know the name, the word paraclete as what? Holy the Holy Spirit. Because paraclete means to come alongside. Well, the verb form means to para, beside, and kateo, to call aloud. So this is to come alongside loudly, but it's not a command. This is one of Paul's favorite words. He uses it 50 times in his letters between Romans and Philemon. <clears throat> he could have said here, he could have started this entire passage with, I command you. Because isn't he speaking from authority? Well, is he? He's writing to people who he doesn't know. He's not the pastor of their church. He's exhorting a people that he wants to come visit eventually. <clears throat> so he doesn't lay out a command. And it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's interesting in Philemon, verses 8 and 9, he writes, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And that same word, parakaleo, is the same word here, to appeal. I could command you. I could. And then you'd have to deal with my command. Instead, I would rather you make this your own. So he appeals, and then comes the word therefore. Well, you know, we've said this a million times. If there's a therefore, we have to ask, what is it, what is it there for? He's pointing back to what? He's pointing back to chapters 1 through 11. He's pointing back to the doctrine. He's pointing back to all of these extraordinary truths. And it's interesting, uh, I think it was Warren Wiersbe, uh, in his little commentary called Be Real, which is on Romans, he says there are four great therefores in Romans. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse. That is the therefore of condemnation. You need to write that down. The therefore of condemnation, 2-1. 5-1. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, that's the therefore of justification. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is the therefore of assurance. Then we come to this one. 
I appeal to you, therefore, and he called it the therefore of consecration. Now that word consecration doesn't show up in your text. And we'll kind of dig into that word a little bit because I came across entire sermons based on the idea of consecration based on this text. Because what does it mean to consecrate something? Anybody? Set it aside. Set it aside. To set it aside? Um, let's, let's broaden it a little more than that. Hmm? To make it sacred. In fact, Webster's Dictionary said consecration is the act or ceremony of separating from a common to a sacred use. So he's pretty much that concept here of taking the everyday and making it sacred is this meaning of this passage. And then of course it's, I appeal to you therefore brothers, that's the Greek word adelphoi, which some translations are starting to translate that as brothers and sisters. I'm not sure this particular word allows for both genders in its word, adelphoi, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Um, but evidently in all scripture, it's for everyone, no matter the, who it is. You know. So let's not get too caught up in that, but you'll notice that some of the translations are broadening that. But then comes this key point. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. There's the therefore. The, by the mercies of God. Well, what is that? And notice in our English translation, it's plural. It doesn't say the mercy of God. Now, there are a couple other translations that use it singular. It is a Greek word that can, oiktirman, for those of you who care about that, um, can also mean compassion. In the Old Testament, when they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek in the Septuagint, they used, there was a, Greek, a Hebrew word called chesed, or loving kindness. This word was used to translate it 31 times. This word mercy or compassion. Yes, we're being serenaded by our neighbors with a, some sort of music. If I begin doing a little jig, please ignore me. It's, no, sorry, that would be a terrible thing. Having two daughters who are, who are dancers, they would say, please dad, no. Don't, just stop. <laughs> so anyway, um, thank you for quieting the group. By the mercies of God. Well, again, I keep coming back to the fact that I have thought so much about this for so long. I have meditated on this so frequently and so long. I get to the point of having to teach it and I just kind of go, uh, where do I start? Where do you start when you start thinking of the mercies of God? Fortunately, there are smarter people than me who have gone before us, and I'm going to write 
a number of them on the board as I read this section from John MacArthur, who taught on this passage. And you may want to flip your own paper over because you're going to want to write these down and meditate on them. He, he said, now what are the mercies of God? And I suppose this has been discussed through the years in studies of Romans, but I don't think it's that difficult, really. I believe the mercies of God, of God are everything that God has done for the believer listed in chapters 1 through 11 of Romans. The whole thing. All the provisions of God's mercy for man's sin. All of it. But what have we learned from those first 11 chapters? It's quite an impressive list. Love. Romans 5. God's love is shed abroad in the heart. In fact, Romans 8 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. You have grace. This is Romans 1, 3, 5, and 6. All the way through. Grace, 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 grace. If you haven't picked up on that, you aren't reading very carefully. It permeates this section of Romans. The Holy Spirit. Chapter 8 tells us that we have received the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. It says in Romans 8, verses 2, 4, 9, 11, 14, 16, and 26 talks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a mercy given to us by God, an undeserved blessing. Peace. This would be chapter 1, Verse 7, 2, verse 10, 5, verse 1, 8, verse 6, and elsewhere it says we have received peace, and that is a mercy of God. Faith, 20 times, I'm not going to list them all. Comfort, chapter 1, verse 12. Power. Chapter 1, verse 16. Hope. Chapter 5, verse 2. And chapter 8, verses 20 and 24. And then, I've already run out of room. I'm not even halfway done yet. Think about that for a second. Love, grace, Holy Spirit, peace, faith, comfort, power, and hope, and we have not yet finished the list. And he goes into a bit of a... Uh, well, no, I'll just keep going here. Okay, got kindness. This is in 2, verse 4. And then he, he starts to vamp. He just starts rattling off words. We have glory, honor, righteousness, 
forgiveness, reconciliation, justification. All of these are mercies of God. Then in chapter 5, verse 10, he talks about security, eternal life. 5.21, freedom is in chapter 6 and 7. Resurrection. Sonship, H-I-P, uh, yeah, you'll figure it out, <laughs> chapter 8, and intercession. Sonship, okay. Okay. What's the last one? Intercession. So we've got, yeah, let's get rid of this guy. So, love, grace, Holy Spirit, peace, faith, comfort, power, hope, kindness, glory, honor, righteousness, forgiveness, reconciliation, justification, security, eternal life, freedom, resurrection, sonship, and intercession. 22 of them. What Paul is saying, look. You who have received all these marvelous things, you to whom God has given them, they are mercies and we deserve none of them. Not a one. There is nothing we have done that could ever earn any of this. And when you just rattle it off, but we have been given love, grace, honor, Holy Spirit, peace, faith, comfort, power, hope, patience, kindness, glory, honor, righteousness, forgiveness, reconciliation, justification, security, eternal life, freedom, resurrection, sonship, and intercession. Wow. I mean, we can go home now. It just, it's... So overwhelming. And this is all found just in the book of Romans. We haven't even gone into any place else. This is just what happened in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And he comes to that and says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, there is something that you must feel you must do. And what does he say? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. To God, which is your spiritual worship. Well, what does that mean? I mean, we got all of this. We feel lifted up. We feel very grateful. And now we're supposed to present our bodies. Well, 
When you take the word present, you have to look that he's used that phrase before. In chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, Paul wrote, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He's already talked about this a little bit, but now he's putting it in the context of all of what God has done for you. Now, don't present your bodies to the body of sin. Present your bodies. He says, present to, someone said, is to relinquish. Well, I'm not quite sure that's what this word means. This word means offer or give. But I like the idea of present. Um, you know, it, it, it's one of those changes that the pandemic has changed our technology, but people can give here for to the church online. And there's no physicality of presenting the offering. In fact, there's one little funny anecdote I came across in three different places. So obviously one guy told it and two other guys used it. So three times they said they were passing the offering plate and there was some six-year-old girl was standing in the aisle, standing inside the plate. And they're going, uh, Sally, what are you doing? I'm giving myself. out of the mouth of babes. Mm -hmm. She may not have had any money to give, so she put herself in the offering. Hmm. So think about that. To present has a richness, an intentionality, a physicality to it. To take our word that we talked about earlier, the consecration, taking the common, and making it sacred. Now, it says to present what? To present your bodies. Now we have to be careful here <clears throat> because the Greek philosophy of Gnosticism separated the body and the spirit. And they would say, your spirit is sacred, your body, do whatever you want with it. And it doesn't have any implication on the soul and so that dichotomy is prevalent and if you think about it we're also not that many generations removed from Molech where they would burn the children as the sacrifice you also had in Corinth up at the top of the hill, right outside the city, was the temple where the temple prostitutes served. And the idea that whatever they did with the body really didn't matter to the soul. So licentiousness and debauchery was so common because it didn't matter. You know, eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow you may die, but your soul's good. You see the problem. Creation of man. <laughs> yeah. 
So one writer said, Here, here's an interesting thing. Think about it this way. For those who are, who are coming, and even for us, when we contemplate this, there are many verses and there's a lot of theology that has been expressed that shows us that our soul has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We have been made right with God. We've been justified with God. But we, didn't Paul write about still struggling with sin? And it wasn't his soul that was sinning. It was his body. His mind. And we have to realize that Paul's very careful to integrate the two. You cannot separate them. You cannot. And I remember reading uh, one guy just kind of went off. He goes, yeah, the problem is that this whole thing preaches lib um, legalism. You know, don't, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. And um, you know, that's how we're going to live our Christian life. And I'm sitting there going, and your point is? Um, is there something wrong with sending, setting boundaries? Is there something wrong with saying that behavior is inappropriate? Yeah, everybody defines these things differently and that can get a little messy. And it changes when you end up with a, uh, you know, certain people who use that legalism or that behavior as a power tool to control their congregation or to control a person's life. We have to be very careful with that. At the same time, there is an element here that's saying you need to be consecrating, turning the ordinary into something sacred. And think of it that way. You also have to think that this is an echo of the Levitical offering where there was a sacrificial system. In fact, they were still practicing it right there in the temple. That the sacrifice would be the propitiation for sins. It was the blood sacrifice. This, this would represent an a act of contrition or an act of, of sanctifying and paying for the sins. And yet, we know that that has changed. I have another handout. Some fun here. Do I get overtime? <laughs> you get overtime, yes. Uh, bill me. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I spend way more time than I probably should have putting this hand out together. Um, you need more reason to paper. <laughs> uh, you have not, no idea how much I've gone through since you guys gave me that paper. Um, I'll wait until everybody has the hand out before I talk about it. Yes? Just to uh, affirm what you were saying from the passage itself, that Paul is not separating the body from right. the spirit. The words themselves, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right. uh, which is your spiritual or reasonable, which right. is translation of act of worship. So, so this act of the body is a spiritual act right. or 
something like that. So yes, so it is consistent right. within his theological and even philosophical understanding of the connection yeah, between them. Yeah, the body is not separate from right. the he's making it, He's trying to make it very clear without stopping and going, okay guys. You well, know. in the very next verse he talks about the renewal of your mind. Yep. So it's not a separation. Right, it's not a mind, body, soul situation and yet it is but it isn't he's talking about the unity of who we are Steve, going back to chapter one he goes to the list of all the things that deserve the wrath of god things that yep. are sin you know you can't just say all those are things of the mind because he talks about therefore giving up the end of the lust of their heart dishonoring of their bodies but then the whole list of sins murder some of these things i can think weren't but then physically actually mm -hmm. i commit murder in a lot of these Sins are sins that you do through physical actions. Yeah. It's not just yeah. mind. So there is not a separation of body and spirit. It is pretty much saying you need to clean up your act before God. I hate to keep All right. affirming this, but it's an important point because there are a lot of people who are not Christians who see our ways of talking about the body as kind of a hatred of the body. Yes. Yes. And, and the response is, no, it's precisely because the body is sacred. It's God's creation. Exactly. You want it treated in a sacred way. This is why the whole issue of the debate about sexuality right now is so frustrating. In fact, Nancy Piercy, who's one of my clients, wrote this incredible analysis of the sexuality in our society, and it's called Love Thy Body. That's the title yes. of the book. So, and so philosophically and theologically, she works through this idea of the two. So, looking at your handout. I spent a lot of time compiling these verses together for your benefit. Uh, I don't know if we can, well, let's see, I mean, we got one, two, three, four, five, six tables. Um, would you like to read these path, these words out loud together? Or do we need to, no? Lisa's saying no, we don't have time. That's no, right, we're almost, we're almost over time. Yeah, well, I'm not gonna read all of this. Um, this would take a quite, quite too much time. I would like you guys to take this home and use it in your meditations at some point. Because I broke it down into the idea of what is the flesh, the ears, the eyes, the mouth, the hands and feet, and the clean heart. And then I gave a little hymn, which is not sung very often anymore, but the lyrics are amazing, that pulls it all together in a devotional context. But you can see how the totality of Scripture is not separated from what he's saying in Romans 12.1. Present your bodies. And good grief, the scripture is full of talking about your bodies, every aspect of your body, and presenting it. But he's presenting it as a living sacrifice. Now, you know I have the audio recordings of this class on a website called The Inner Altar. Well, that's based on this verse. Because a sacrifice is done where? 
on an altar. And this altar is inside you. It's your inner altar. And we're supposed to present ourselves as a living, not dead, living sacrifice. And so I have, again, because I meditate on this so many times, I think of, okay, so I'm metaphorically coming to this altar that's inside me, and I'm crawling up on it, turning over on my back and lifting my chin, and saying, I'm yours, Lord. Take me. Break me. I, I am nothing because I'm giving everything to you. You don't want my money. You don't want my house. You certainly don't need my car. You want me. Living. And you want me now. Not 50 years from now when I'm no longer living. You want me now. The problem is living sacrifices tend to crawl off the altar. You know, I mean, just think about it. Try, try to take a pet to the vet. They are doing everything they can to get off that table. Because they know something is going to poke them, something, and they're just like, mm, you know, and I never knew that cats sweat through their paws, and so that's why those tables are so slick. They can't get a grip, and they're just like they're on ice. They're, get me out of here. Isn't there times where that's how we act when we come before God on that inner altar and we say, just I'm not supposed to know you're not supposed to notice God please don't notice that I want to get off and God's saying yes I, I can see that yeah. just reminds me of Peter and his promise to follow Jesus <laughs> yep that's right the altar showed up <laughs> yep. as soon as it got a little rough he said oh not me I don't know what you're talking about and he never forgot that either. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I thought about this a number of times about you know being, our bodies being the temple of God, yes. and that we are the priests in this temple, and we are the sacrifice of this temple, and that you know prayers are the incense that are burned in the temple. Mm -hmm. And you think of all the jobs of the temple. If, if I'm not singing and worshiping God, no one's singing in my temple, you know? If I'm not praying, no one's, no one's doing incense in my temple, you know? If I'm not laying down on that altar, there's no sacrifices given yeah. in this temple, yeah. you know? I, this idea of being high priest, sometimes we don't think about it being of this temple, of yeah. what I'm a priest of, you know? And I think that that is hard to, when we come up with things that that we want to run away from, mm -hmm. then to remember, wait a second, this is my reasonable act of service. Yeah. Now, we're not the high priest. <laughs> no. We are offering ourselves to But the Bible says one. that we are priests. 
Yes, we are. Yeah, yeah. And I think Jesus is that so. high priest. Yeah. We cannot have that sacrifice unless we present it. Yeah. Romans 6.2, we've died to sin. We were baptized in Christ's death. Uh, Romans 6.5, we've been united with him in death. Galatians 2.20, we've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and I, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And then Hebrews 10.4, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In John 1.29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's such a big idea. So, of course, I need to lighten the, the, uh, the room a little bit. So, you have Old McDonald's Farm. It was a great place to live, and the animals were very pleased to live there, and they thought, we need to give McDonald a gift. We need to give him something. You know, we need to give him something in return. Look at all he's done for us. And so the sheep said, well, I'm going to Donate my wool so we can have a warm jacket on a cold winter morning. And the cow says, well, I'm going to donate my, my milk so he has some nice chill thing to drink at breakfast. And, and you can churn it into butter and it'll just be this glorious thing. And the uh, chicken says, well, I'm donating eggs so that he can have a great breakfast. And then the sheep, the cow, and the chicken all turn to the pig. <laughs> You know, for some, it's not much of a sacrifice. But for the pig, it's a commitment. Uh, being a little lighthearted light here, but when you think about it, that's what this verse is asking us to do. It's not a command. And we do it because of the mercies of God of what he has given us, and we cannot do anything but say, I'm yours. I give you my all. But here's the interesting point. He says this sacrifice is holy. Well, wait, I'm not very holy. Ah, but in God's eyes, we are. Because Christ's blood on the cross has covered those sins. There's that Levitical connection again to the sacrificial system. I even wrote here, I said, we need to be spotless and without blemish, and I, but I can't because I'm unclean. But Jesus has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. You have nothing that isn't His already. Let Jesus consume you like the sacrifice of Elijah, which he had just referred to earlier in Romans, where what happened to that sacrifice in that contest in 1 Kings? The fire came down and burned it all up, including the water, just whoosh. That picture here, let Jesus consume you, all of you, all that makes you, you. Burn away every idol, sweep away every room of your filthy heart. 
abandon yourself at the altar. This is acceptable to God. It is what is approved by God. The Greek word broken up means well desirable or well pleasing or well proper. That's why we have in your handout, you see the word well pleasing there. The acceptance, the sweet smelling sacrifice that is presented to God in our desire to please Him. Then comes the last phrase, which in the ESV says, which is your spiritual worship. And this is the, that's the word spiritual that gets completely retranslated depending on what translation you're in. Um, it's the Greek word logikos. Logic. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't normally think of spiritual and logic in the same breath. It's not, that's, it's just, we have our philosopher laughing over here because it's, those are diametric concepts. Or are they? Because what is being described is a spiritual act. But it's a spiritual act that is reasonable. So you, 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 know, you struggle, you know, the translators have always struggled with this word because it only appears one other time in the New Testament. And they can't find it very frequently in non-biblical context. The, the word logikos is rarely used, which is interesting. You would think it would be typical, but it's not. And to me, the word reasonable, which was the King James, it sounds weak because now, especially in today's language, when you say something is reasonable, you kind of go, yeah, that's reasonable. You know, it's like, yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, it's, yeah, you made a good, good point, that's reasonable. I don't think that's what this means. If you say rational, well, now it's all of the mind. You know, it's mind over matter, you think, if you think hard enough, you can believe it. Um, you've got, one translation has it true and proper. Well, the word proper is an add-on to this word. But the word true is, I think, a great word to translate logikos. It's true worship. So what is worship? Worship is giving to God, giving praise, glory, honor to God. And true worship is the purest of it all, the purest form. Yeah, we could debate that. I doubt if anyone of us knows exactly what is meant here, but I think we get the thrust of the passage. We get the idea that when we present ourselves as a living sacrifice on that inner altar, that inner altar, Lisa and I were talking about this last night, she had heard something recently where someone was saying that, why are there altars in front of churches? Something along that line. It was, you know, there's, there's that table. Well, we have it as a table. 
But you notice it's not a folding table. It's kind of permanent, and it's kind of heavy. So you don't just move it out of the way, unless you need to. And in some places, it's made out of stone. In fact, in a lot of old Catholic churches, they would bury the saints under it. So that permanence, and if you think of the altars built in the Old Testament, I'm taking it beyond our conversation. But you think the altars in the Old Testament, they're built out of rock. There's that permanence to it. So I start thinking about that in light of this verse and realizing, I hope your altar isn't a folding table in your heart, which you put away and put into storage when it's inconvenient or in the way. But if it's there permanently so that we can remember when we come to that, that, oh God, I crawl off the altar again. I had to chase after me all through the backyard. And it just got really frustrating and I'm back to, okay. Lord, I need to present myself to you. That is my worship. This is what we do in response to this. Yeah. In regard to the word yeah, that uh, logic had, and you know, you said reasonable is kind of weak. To me, the word appropriate is stronger than reasonable, but it seems to link a little bit more to it's appropriate according to what we've just explained about the spiritual aspect of True. this. True. So, you know, with the word appropriate be. The, the one problem with appropriate, in my opinion, is that we tend to define what's appropriate depending on who we are. So one might say, oh, I find this appropriate. And another one says, well, I find this is appropriate. And so I don't see it as, a, as because the English language is permeable, it, it just kind of changes. I'm not sure that it, it's applicable but I'm not sure it would be the appropriate word here. Oh. <laughs> gotcha. The reason I mention is because, uh, you know, the word logic, and, and he's, he always makes logical presentations, and in his logic, he's just been telling you about the spiritual component and, you know, the need for consecration. So it's appropriate, therefore, for you to do what you do because we're talking about the whole consecration. Here's the appropriate logic of that. In, in this not, context, in, it would in, work. In, Paul, in Paul's mind, in yes. his logical mind, to me. So that's why. In this context, it works. The problem is you take that word out of this context, and then suddenly it has different implications. It's like the word reasonable, because mm. we can just say it almost casually. Yeah. Anyway. I'm going to end with a quote from Jonathan Edwards, which I think is the best way to end our time and our exploration of this together. Jonathan Edwards wrote this in his diary when he was 19 years old. So this was, and I, I tried to figure out in the context of his life when this occurred. And this was before he had uh, officially began uh, working in churches. 
So he was still a young mind. 1723. I have been before God and have given myself all that I am and have to God so that I am not in any respect my own. I can challenge no right in this understanding, this will, these affections which are in me. Neither have I any right to this body or any of its members. No right to this tongue, these hands, these feet. No right to these senses, these eyes, these ears, this smell or this taste. I have given myself clear away and have not retained anything as my own. I have this morning told him that I take him for my whole portion and felicity, looking on nothing else as any part of my happiness, nor acting as if it were, and his law for the constant rule of my obedience, and would fight with all my right against the world, the flesh, and the devil to the end of my life, in that I believe in Jesus Christ and to receive him as a prince and savior, in that I would adhere to the faith and obedience of the gospel, however hazardous and difficult the confession and practice of it may be, and that I did receive the blessed spirit as my teacher, sanctifier, and only comforter, and cherish all his motions to enlighten, purify, conform, comfort, and assist me. This I have done. And I pray, God, for the sake of Christ, to look upon it as a self-dedication and to receive me now is entirely His own and to deal with me in all respects as such, whether He afflicts me or prospers me, prospers me or whatever He pleases to do with me. Can we pray that prayer? Can we write that life dedication and live by it? I say that is what Paul is appealing to us to do. I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to meditate and to explore an extraordinary passage of Scripture. One that needs to be brought back to our minds on a regular basis. And what's so amazing about your word is that you're not done yet. That's just part one. And I look forward to our time next week when we get to look at what more you have to say to us. In Jesus' name. Amen.